Well, many moons ago, uh, Liz and I took a class on parenting. It was so many moons ago, we didn't even have any kids. And you might be wondering, why were you taking a class on parenting when you didn't have any kids? Well, that is because Elizabeth Ritchie is always prepared. She wanted to be prepared for parenting, and I wanted to be involved in making some children. So there we were. We were there, they taught us this little communication pattern that we have used since, and I've taught to premarital couples over a couple of decades. They called it couch time. The idea was that you marked out 15 minutes a day, maybe when one or the other of you gets off of work, and you bribe your children with something, a a TV show, a special toy, a video game that they only get to use at couch time, and then you sit on the couch And you focus on each other for a few minutes. And you ask each other three questions. The first question is really obvious. You come home and one of you says to the other, how are you? And you might go, wait, wait, you paid for this? (laughs) Right? But it wasn't about the question. It was about what you did after you asked it. You say, how are you? And then you'd listen. They called it reflective listening. Repeating back a a version of what was just said. Not, Not fixing it. Not commenting on it. Just listening. And so I'd say, Lisa, how are you? And she'd go, man, I had a rough day. And I'd go, had a rough day? And she knew I was listening. And I'd wait for her to say something else. And she'd go, yeah, the kids were monsters. They spread peanut butter on the carpet. And I'm like, oh, man, peanut butter on the carpet, right? And she would keep talking. And it let me know who I was coming home to. And then she'd ask me the same question. The second question was, how are we? It was, what is the state of us? You know, since it was part of the program and it didn't feel like fishing or accusation, it just was something we did every day. And so sometimes I had this great situation, I don't know if this ever happens to you, where you, uh, you think your spouse is mad at you and then it turns out they're actually mad at someone else. Isn't that great? And I'd say, how are we? And she'd be like, oh, we're good. I'm mad at my friend so-and-so. And I'm like, yes, I'm so glad. Oh, no, that's terrible. Yeah, okay, right? How are we? Let us check in on us all the time and keep short accounts, not let stuff get too far. You know, when you let something sit for a while, it festers and it kind of works itself into different disagreements. But if you keep up with it, how are we? It's just little stuff. And then third, we'd say, how can I pray for you? And this is where I found out what my wife really cared about. But I had to get trained in this. The first times I'd say, how can I pray for you? And she'd tell me how I could pray for her. I would think to myself, or sometimes like a moron, say out loud, well, that's, that's dumb. Don't worry about that. And I would judge her prayer requests because they weren't the same kind of prayer requests I had. You know what was a better response by me? Praying. She'd say, how can I? I'd say, how can I pray for you? And she'd tell me, and I would listen, and I would pray. And because my, it got us on the same side. It let her know that I was for her, and she would do the same for me. It's a, it's a great little exercise, you can, and you can do it as a couple. I encourage it, or you can even do it as a parent, or even in a friendship. How are you? How are we? How can I pray for you? And I, I bring this up because over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about relationships here at New Hope, all kinds of relationships, but uh, thinking a lot about marriage relationships and parent-child relationships, the closest relationships in our lives. And their series is called Love Is. And my hope is that we would kind of have some couch time with God over the next three weeks. We would do kind of a relational check-in. We would sit on the couch with God and kind of have that question, how are you in your relational world? How are, how are we getting along here? 
And then ask that question, how are we, are, God, are you involved in my relational world? And then how can I pray for you, God, would you work in my relational world? Kind of uh, surrendering over who we are to God in every aspect. And we're calling it love is because love is the foundation of every relationship we're in. And yet, it can be an elusive thing. It can be hard to understand, hard to give, hard to receive. So we're going to start by letting the Scripture speak to us about love. And we're going to be in a very famous passage. I like to say it's famous for a reason. It's one you've probably heard before if you've been to a wedding in the last 50 years. It's from 1 Corinthians, and it's quoted so much. And, uh, but here's the thing about it. It's beautiful. It's poetic. But don't miss it. Because it's got real power when we consider what God has to say through it. Now, Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was famous for being a church full of miscreants. They had divisions. They had immorality. They were thievery. They had incest. There was uh, lawsuits against each other. I mean, they could have had a reality TV show in Corinth. The Real Housewives of Corinth would have been fantastic. They were a hot mess As I like to think of them, they were my kind of people, okay? And Paul spends most of the letter trying to teach them the basics of how to be Christians. But then he turns a corner and he starts casting a vision for what the church is called to be, what Jesus has done, and the unity they can have despite their differences and how the spiritual gifts they've received can serve one another and help them relate to one another. And he kind of picks up on this thing that can happen. He's talking about spiritual gifts, and he's like, well, hang on a second. The spiritual gifts are designed to unite you, but sometimes you miss, in the middle of those gifts and the gifts you've received, which are amazing, you miss something incredibly important, incredibly foundational, and that's love. Here's what he says about it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's how he starts. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. You see, there's this little thing in the church where you could receive the gift of tongues. We saw the apostles do it. They get the gift of tongues and they could share the gospel in a language that was not their own. Or there was this heavenly language that people could speak in to praise and worship God, right? He says, you could have those gifts, and they were very desirable. People love having stuff like that. It's flashy. Man, I can speak in another language. I speak in this heavenly language. It kind of lifts you up. He goes, you could have both of those. You could speak in these tongues of men and of angels, but if you don't have love, you got nothing. You're just like a clanging cymbal. And the cymbal players in the back being like, come on, man, right? He says, you could have those things and it wouldn't matter. And he goes on, verse 2, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He goes, okay, maybe it's not about the tongues. Maybe you have the gift of prophecy. How cool is that, right? I can, I can see what God's going to do in the future, and I can speak that. Or, or maybe I can understand these deep mysteries of the universe. I can tell you what uh, you know, everything in, in the book of Daniel really means, right? And, uh, or, or maybe I've got this faith, and I've seen great miracles. God move mountains, right? Amazing things. He goes, you could have all that. But if you don't have love... You're nothing. Uh, Verse 3 says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, 
I gain nothing. He says, look, you can live a sacrificial lifestyle. You could surrender all your money, all your goods to the poor. You could be willing to suffer for the cause. You could be a martyr. But if you don't have love, nothing is credited to your account. What are you talking about? Evangelism or spectacular power, healing, sacrifice, generosity. If you don't have love, he says, they don't add up to anything. Anything that you're accomplishing for the kingdom that's not about love doesn't mean anything. See, there's a relational rule here that's behind everything we are as Christians. That it's not about the what. It's always about the why. You know, I've talked to couples over the years who will tell me, and they'll have this big, oh, he works all the time. He'll say, I do it for you, baby. I do it for us. And she's like, I don't want all that. I just want you. I had a conversation with a, a guy. It's a very impressive job. He has a son who's almost grown up. And he said, oh, my son doesn't understand how much I sacrifice for him. The son says, I just miss you. I just want you. It's not about the what you're doing. It's about the why. Are we really connected? I remember something Liz said to me when the kids were small that has stuck with me for years. Some of you know this story. I was working two jobs. I was trying to make ends meet. We had four kids under five years old at one point, and so Liz was in survival mode most of the, of the time. I'd go to work at 8 in the morning, and I'd come back at 3 in the afternoon, and I'd have about 15 minutes at my house, and I would eat something real quick. I'd play with the kids for a second. I'd change my clothes, and I'd leave. And I'd go to work at 4 and work till 1 in the morning, come home exhausted, and then do it all again. And we had a season where that went on. And it was, i got to tell you, those little in-between times were torture. To come home and just want to be there and just have a couple minutes with my kids and, Daddy, why are you leaving? And see my wife just under all this stress and, and all that time. And I'm like, man, this is terrible. And I, I would apologize to Liz all the time. I remember one of the days I was in between. I'm making this quick transition and going to the next job. And I'm, and I'm saying, I'm so sorry I'm leaving. And my wife looked at me and she goes, it's okay because I know you want to be here. Your heart is here. See, Paul tells us that there, all this other stuff, the accomplishments, the impressiveness, the gifts, the grand things, he says without love, they don't matter. See, love's the point. Love for God and love for others. Love is not an emotion. It's a decision on how we will live, the values that we're going to hold, the posture that a Christ follower takes toward the world in their home and in every relationship. See, love originates from God. He's the inventor and the greatest giver of love. And we can choose to submit ourselves to Him. He can teach us how to love. We can love because He first loved us. And real love takes submission to His leadership. And it also takes practice and hard work. And boy, oh boy, is it beautiful. There's a reason why the Scriptures say that God is love. Paul then goes on in 1 Corinthians to define love for us. And what comes next is both an inspiration and a training manual for us. He starts this way in verse 4. He says, love is patient. Patience means that I trust God's timing over my own. You see, love often has to wait. Love often goes second or third or last. Every time we have family dinner together at our house, my wife always makes sure that everyone else has enough to eat before she eats. 
It's love. It says love is kind. Kindness takes into account someone else's situation. It considers the needs of other people. Love is others-focused. Love looks out for the least and the littlest. It says love does not envy, continuing there. It's content with what it already has received. It does not compare itself with others. One truth is, is that comparison is the surest path to dissatisfaction. When I was a kid, I got my first bike on the Christmas when I turned five, and I saw that bike gleaming under the Christmas tree, and I was so excited. This is the greatest bike in the world. I can't believe how awesome this bike is. I can't wait to ride it. And I take my bike out, and I ride. It was a warm enough Christmas day. I'm, what a, I'm outside riding my bike, and I love my bike until I see somebody else's bike. And I'm like, how come my bike doesn't have the flag? It's the 70s. There's like a flag in the back. And how come it doesn't have the ta- Why isn't it the right brand? Oh, and as soon as I was so content and happy with my bike until I saw someone else's, right? Love chooses to fix its eyes on the object of that love. If you're married, it's choosing to put your eyes on your spouse. It's true that whether you're looking for something to praise or criticize in your spouse, in your child, you will find it. You can fix your eyes on love is an intentional decision to not compare. I'm not talking about blenders, I'm talking about people, right? Look, when we fix our eyes on something, we become fascinated. Maybe you've been binge-watching some TV shows during this time. I know I have. And you know what happens when I binge-watch a TV show? I want to know everything about the people in the show. I want to read their Wikipedia pages. I want to know what else they've been in, right? I want to figure all that stuff out, right? That works in real life, too. You can binge-watch your spouse, You can stare at them. You can talk to them. You can spend time with them. And here's what's true. Each one of us, each person, is an endless, fascinating product of the handiwork of God. And often, we live next to an undiscovered marvel that we have not taken the time to explore. Just just don't be creepy when you're staring at them, right? Love, Paul says, he goes on to say, love does not boast. Love isn't proud. See, love doesn't shove its success in someone else's face. It recognizes the gift that it's been given. When we boast, when we're arrogant, we diminish other people. We invite them to compare themselves to us. We say, shouldn't you be unhappy with what you have? Look at what great thing I have. God says, no, keep your eye on what's in front of you. Don't invite comparison. Look deeper into what you already have and discover the miracle, the miraculousness that I've already put right in front of your face. Verse 5 says, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. See, love is others-focused. This is probably the part that's easiest for me to understand as a definition, that love can be summed up as putting someone else's needs above your own. Your spouse, your kid, your friend. I have the couples do this little exercise in premarital's. We have, we do a basic understanding of love languages. I know many people are familiar with it, but it's a, a way that we best receive and give love. And and there's five of them: uh, uh, words of encouragement, acts of service, uh, physical touch, uh, quality time, and gifts. That each one of us likes to give love and receive love that way. And so I'll tell my premarital couples, I'll say, hey, I want you to go and do a love language date uh, for your fiancé. Think about who they are. 
Think, don't ask them, say, what do you want to do? Say, think about who they are. Think about what they love, what, what matters to them, what, what, how they want to spend their time. Think about them and put together a love language date that's focused on them. And I learned a couple things. One, not every couple does this. It's a great assignment, right? Not every couple does it. And I've noticed over the years and years I've been doing weddings, the people who come back and say, well, we didn't really have time for it. I go, oh man, your prospective marriage is way down the list of important to you. You're going to struggle, right? Your marriage, your relationship, it's got to be up top here, right? And so I've also learned this. When people come back from those, I'll say, how did that go? And almost inevitably, people enjoy doing the day, giving the day, more than they enjoy receiving the day. When Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive, he's right, like he is about so many things. And I'll tell you, I'll just say a little word to you. If you're, if you're married today, you're engaged today, the guy that you're with, your husband, your fiancé, your boyfriend, all he really wants in the world is to make you happy. That's all he really wants is to make you happy and that you'd be proud of him. There's this blessing with giving and receiving. It says love is not focused on itself. We love better when we're focused on others, and we become more fulfilled when we're others-focused. We're less critical of our own life when we take our eyes off what we don't have and appreciate what we do have. He says love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Look, i got to tell you, this is the hard part for me. <laughs> Love means that I have to put work in to understand how someone else sees the world. I have to put work in to understand how someone else sees the world. Why they do what they do. I, I, you know, I had this experience the other day. I was out with my, my son has just learned to drive, and he's learning how to drive in the snow, right? And this is where we live. And so as he's driving around the snow, he does like 17 things wrong, okay? And he slides over a, a, a lane he shouldn't. He goes too fast. He's tailgating where he shouldn't, you know, whatever. And I, one of the times he did one of these things, someone else is honking at them, and my reaction was like, hey, it's his first day driving in the snow. Back off there, you know, buddy, all right? Just understand he has to learn how to drive in the snow sometime. We're not all perfect snow drivers like you right? Because I understand what he's going through. I have compassion for him. And I feel that way all the time, except if I'm in the other car and someone cuts me off or someone drives poorly in the snow. And I'm like, what are you, a bozo? Get off the road if you don't know how to drive in the snow. Wait till spring if you don't know what you're doing. It all depends if I understand the situation or not. It says, love is not easily angered. It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. It, it assumes the best about other people. Right? What if every time that happened to me, I went, that's probably some kid on his first day. Or what if every time I got mad at some, how someone treated me like uh, on, on, the, you know, on, a, on the phone, it was dealing with the bank or whatever, I went, what, what if they lost their mom today? What if their boss just yelled at them? What if the last customer was incredibly rude? What if I considered that someone out has a life outside of their interaction with me and they're carrying a hard burden today? It says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. L love doesn't want bad for other people. It doesn't root against anybody. Love only roots for God and His way. Love's agenda is always reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness, unity, 
I freely confess this is super hard for me. It's an indicator often that my heart isn't right with God when I'm not on God's side. You might be thinking, well, hang on a second. Doesn't God judge evil? Yeah, He does. That's His job. It's not our job. While we're here on earth, and we're talking about people, right? Our job is to love them, to root for them, to want good for them. Some of the best things I can do is to try to understand someone's backstory when I'm talking to them. I remember there was a guy that I just could not stand who drove me nuts. And it was one of those weird relationships where I couldn't stand him and he thought we were friends. All right? If you ever had one of those, go ahead and poke the person that's sitting next to you right now, okay? And, um, and I just thought this guy was just a, just a bozo and I didn't want to be around him. And I was like, man, I was really harsh on him in my head. I complained about him to my wife. And, uh, and then one of the days that we're talking, since he thought we were friends, he was telling me about something. And uh, he had been through a really rough relationship and a divorce. And he didn't get to see his kids for Christmas. And I'm like, man, that stinks. And how, how empty would I feel? How broken would I feel if I didn't get to see my kids for Christmas? And maybe some of you have been in that spot. You didn't get to see your kids for Christmas, right? And I didn't become friends with the guy and want to hang out with him all the time, but I got a little more compassion. I got a little more on God's side of it, right? Because love doesn't keep record of wrongs, right? Love believes the best about other people. Love's always on the side of reconciliation. I love verse 7 here in, in chapter 13. It says, love, it always protects it always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. See, God's love for us never gives up. Love leans in. Love acts. Love steps up. Love believes the good. I can't even imagine how many times the Corinthians must have read this letter in tough times. How often they had to lean on it to make an action plan. I, I kind of think of it that way. That's, you know, that, well, how do I know what I'm supposed to do in any given situation? Well, what's the loving thing to do? Well, it always protects. So I should look to protect someone who's vulnerable. Oh, it always trusts. I'm going to believe God's Word in this spot. Oh, it always hopes. I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to believe that God has something better coming down the road if we hang in there. And oh yeah, it always perseveres. We had this little weird moment you know, of kind of getting on God's side of stuff. We did uh, this food distribution thing yesterday. And uh, it was freezing cold here. It's the ice planet Hoth here. And if you're not in Illinois right now, it's terrible. Don't come here, okay? It was awful outside, and we were scheduled to give away food boxes, and I'm like, man, it's so cold. I'm like, no one's going to come out in the snow, and then I went, hang on a second. People who are really hungry are going to come out in the snow. And so we get ourselves together, and we get the boxes, and Community Action Partnership shows up, and our people come, and we're all set up, and, and we're out on the road. We're holding signs on the road, right, that say free food and uh, you know, free diapers. Come, come and get it today, right? And we go out, and we're posting it on social media, and then we're, we're watching the cars drive by. And I got in this weird moment where I was like, man, I was talking to Jeremy Runyon, and I were out there at one point. I'm like, I... The only thing I really want in the world is for the next card to pull in right now. I want the next car to just pull in. And when cars would pull in, I was psyched. I was like, yes, we get to give them food and diapers, right? And they'd come in and get this thing. And, and then on the way back out, I'd ask them to roll their window down. And some of them wouldn't, some of them wouldn't. And I'd say, hey, hey, tell your friends. I got, I got more food and more milk here. Please tell your friends we have this stuff for them, right? And I was like, I wonder, just a little sliver if this is how God feels. You know, that he's, he's come and he's, 
He's provided this incredible good thing, way better than a food box that we were giving out, right? Provided salvation, right? Reconciliation, redemption. He has all these things. He's come and sacrificed for them. And he came in an inhospitable environment, and he's just waiting for people to come and take advantage of it. And he's actually he's out on the road begging them, please come in and take my free stuff. Please come in and get what you need. I know that you need it. Come and get it, please. And then as they're receiving, they just go, hey, tell your friends. And just for a second, I'm like, this is how, I'm like, man, I got a little slice of what God feels. I'm like, he has this game plan of, of what to do. Like, and we were up against this, against the, the cold and all these things that were going on yesterday. I'm like, what should we do? Well, we should always protect. And we know we have people who are, who are having food issues right now. We should help protect them. So we should do this. Well, I don't know if anyone's going to come with it so cold. Well, we should always trust. That's a good game plan. But what if it doesn't go? We should always hope that things are going to turn around. Even if people didn't come early, they only come. We're going to hope they're going to show up. And what, what if it gets really cold? Well, we should always persevere. That, 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 chat, that verse 7 is a game plan for us with the gospel, right? Always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere because we love. And we saw some beautiful things happen yesterday. One of my favorite moments was we had um, a police officer here from Round Lake Heights who came by, and I'm like, oh, no. And I, I have this weird thing when running an event. I don't normally want to see the police. I know that's terrible. When they show up, I'm like, are they going to be asking about permits or something? I don't know. And I'm like, I'm like, hey there. And he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? I'm like, oh, we're giving away food. He goes, that's so cool. And I said, yeah, do you know anybody who needs food? He goes, let me think about that. And he drove off, and I'm like, I'm never going to see him again. And then 10 minutes later, he came back. He goes, I know some families who could use food. And then he came and got boxes and delivered them for us yesterday. And hey, Officer Ben, I see you, brother. I see you, Officer Ben. Good job. Right? And I'm like, man, we ha- I love seeing God come through. Love Yesterday, love hoped. And love believed. And love persevered. And yeah, love got a little frostbite, right? And you might think, well, hang on a second. What if I work that plan? What if I protect and trust and hope and persevere? What if it doesn't work? What if no one comes? What if everyone rejects us? Here's Paul's answer. Verse 8. It says, love never fails. What if this? Love never fails. Love never fails because it's God's strategy. It's His strategy to win us. And it's His strategy for us to use. It's true for our community. It's true for your marriage. It's true for your parenting. It's true for your friendships. Love never fails. Sometimes marriages and friendships, even by our best efforts, they, they end. But what won't happen is that love won't fail. Love is still our best option, our best agenda. Some of you right here, right today, are in a terrible spot in your marriage. Some of you are in a broken relationship with your kid. You may say, what do I do about that? What book do I... Yeah, and get all the resources you can, but the real game plan of God is to love your way through it. I, uh, I met this couple who was in one of the worst marriage spots I've ever seen. Uh, adultery and addiction and abuse, a lot of really hard things. And I remember meeting with them going, this is not going to work. And then they came to Christ. Then Jesus poured out love on them. And they, they got all kinds of, they got help and they got resources and they were wise, but they really employed the game plan of love. 
They focused on loving each other, and God has worked miracles in them, in their children. It's been beautiful to see. Because love never fails. Never. Here's how Paul closes this part of the letter. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully known. I know there's a lot going on there, but here's the promise. He says, there's a day of fulfillment coming. We may live in the middle of a hard time, but someday the prophecies will all come true. Someday the need for tongues will end. Someday everyone will have heard. Someday all the stuff we don't know will become clear. Someday we'll have the whole story. Right now we have an incomplete understanding, but someday that will fall away and we'll know. Some things, all the things we don't quite get will become clear to us and not only will we know, but we'll be fully known. We'll be received exactly where we are. Jesus will have made us right. And he says all that, all that stuff, all the, the prophecy and, and all the incompleteness, when that's all settled, you know what's going to count up at the end? It's simple. He tells us in verse 13, he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Look, I know it sounds like a simple thing. It's really hard. It's really complex. It's letting God change you with his love and then making it your posture and attitude toward every relationship that you have. If you really receive it from God and allow it to change you and use it as your strategy, not self-protection, uh, not an escape plan, but a strategy of love, you'll be blessed. You'll be healed. This is how he works. So I want to invite you to put this to the test. God's word that love never fails. I want you to take, take to mind a relationship you have right now. Maybe it's your marriage relationship. Maybe it's a relationship with a child. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a relationship with a parent. And I want you to just kind of hold on to it for a second. And I want you to just take it and say, Lord, this is yours. Lord, I know you loved me well. Help me love well in the midst of this. Show me what love looks like in this relationship. Show me how to love this person well. Let me employ your strategy of love that never fails. Take a minute right now. Just get quiet in your own soul. Allow him to bring a relationship to mind. And I know there's a lot of baggage attached to it, a lot of old hurt, a lot of old feelings, a lot of helplessness. And I just want to encourage you to release that, to cut those strings and let it go up to God. And I want you to remember, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ came and rescued you because of His great love for you. In the middle of our rebellion, He came and rescued us. I want you to remember that love and then and let it grow in you to be your strategy in this relationship. To be your approach. And I want you to invite the Lord to say, Lord, will you, 
Will you remake me in this relationship? Will you turn my heart to see it like you see it? To love this person well? And I want you to ask God to just identify for you a first step, a first thing, a first way to love. And as he does, just just resolve to obey him in this, to take his way. He's earned it by loving us first. We love each other because he first loved us. Let us resolve to bring our love to this. I know all the arguments against it. All the old stuff, all the old brokenness. I know them, I feel them myself. But help us cut off those plans and employ the plan of love. Father, we release to you our hardest relationships. Our most important ones. The ones that are closest to us. Help us to love with the love that Jesus poured into us. Let us be a people of love, a family of love, a church of love. And Father, we love You. We trust You in this. Help us to be Your people who do things Your way. We pray these things in the mighty and matchless name of the One who loved us when we did not deserve it, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for coming along with us. If God put a conviction on your heart, a way that you can love someone a first step right now. The moment is right now. Not an hour from now, all kinds of other stuff's going to come in right now. Give them that obedience. Thanks for wishing with us. Have a fantastic Sunday.